Oh, good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Is it uh, still not quite feeling like spring? Um, Somebody greeted me today and reminded me what today is, that it's April Fool's Day. It took me a while to remember that today. I'm kind of focused on why we're here this morning. But uh, um, it seems kind of strange that those two things uh, fall together. Uh, Although, maybe what we think about Easter and what we decide about it is greatly connected ultimately with matters of wisdom and foolishness about our own lives, about what we believe and why we believe, and, and what our plans for, our anticipation is for life. So, hey, I just want to say uh, to all of you, it's great to be together with you on this day when we celebrate the day Jesus rose from the dead. If you're a regular here, we're, we're of course glad to see you, but if you're a guest with us today, I just want you to know we're especially glad you're here, and we hope uh, maybe you'll stick around for that brunch and that we have an opportunity to say hi, and uh, thank you for being here. Um, some years ago, when my wife and I moved here with our two little kids, we had already settled on a house. We had searched for homes, uh, but had quickly decided, mostly I think at my wife's instigation, that we were going to find a new home, that we were going to move into a new house. Uh, I bet some of you have been through that process before of searching. Most of you maybe even have been through that process of searching for a home and maybe even deciding you wanted a new house that you're going to settle in for. Here's the thing. We'd settled on a house that didn't exist yet. It was in the process of being built because we'd found a a development that was just rising out of the mud. The first day we visited in early March, it was a muddy mess. But in that muddy mess, there were a row of homes that existed, and there was quite a bit of work going on in spite of all that mud. And we walked into two of them on that particular day, and we liked both of them, sort of, but we were not quite agree. well, let's put it this way, we weren't agreed. You know anything about that? I think, as I recall, I liked the one on the right, and Susan liked the one on the left, but in the end, we settled on the one in the middle. Here was the problem. It didn't exist yet. It didn't exist in March. Quickly, we signed papers. We visited in April. We moved here in May. And again and again, we drive to that neighborhood and see life happening and homes going up. But as the weeks and even the months pass by, every time we drive by, that house still didn't exist. Through May, through June, into July, no house there at all. <laughs> you know, it just, it, it, it was starting to bug us a little bit. We'd drive up and we'd see the two houses on either side that we'd stepped into that were now fully occupied. My recollection was they even had a lawn in front of them by that point. But there we were. There was nothing there at all uh, except for, you maybe know what was there. There was a foundation. The whole time there had been, that we'd been driving by there, there had been a foundation on that site. But week after week and for a period of time, month after month, there was nothing but that foundation there at all. And I got to tell you, eventually, the sight of a foundation by itself just seems so tragic. You wouldn't have cried about it, but we were almost crying about it. And we kept hearing reasons about why it wasn't happening or why they weren't moving fast. But between you and me, my internal reaction was, not reasons, but excuses. 
Eventually, obviously, uh, we live at that site today. We've lived there for over 13 years now. We've loved our neighborhood. House is fine. But for the longest time, there was nothing there but a foundation. What's the foundation exist for? A foundation exists to build something on. I remember years ago doing a wedding that, uh, uh, I was a youth pastor in a previous life, and uh, um, I had traveled to Florida to do Monty's wedding in a really isolated location on the Gulf side of Florida. It was a beautiful island. It was not easy to get to. There was nothing near it at all. It was an exclusive island, but there we went. But as I drove through the next day driving around on the mainland, I found this huge development, sort of. There weren't a lot of people around there. And there weren't many houses or, 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 or towns around there except for this inhabited island that was really nice. And we were going to on that particular day, a ways out, and we drove through this one area, and there was this whole subdivision all laid out. All the property lines and the markers there. And as I recall, a whole bunch of foundations. And there was nothing else. Years after those foundations had been poured. What's the foundation for? Well, I've got to tell you this. You know it. I know it. A foundation does not, is not poured. A foundation is not laid. A foundation does not exist to just be there by itself. It is supposed to be the basis for something to be built on. Some of you may remember, um, uh, maybe watch still, a, a program called This Old House. Um, it's a, it's, it was like the, one of the first, maybe the first home improvement program out there. Um, uh, in the first decade of its existence, a guy by the name of Bob Vila uh, was the, the, the host, and it was his show. And actually, when I went, I almost met Bob, because when I went to the, that island for that wedding, the neighbor of the bride's family on that island in their homes was Bob Vila. Unfortunately, he was coming the following weekend and not that weekend, so I never met him. But Bob Vila's old show that he's long not been a part of gives some interesting information on their website for what a foundation is. The weight of an average house is 50 tons. The weight of an average foundation is seven and a half tons. Now, seven and a half tons is not insignificant, but 50 tons is a lot more. But why is that seven and a half tons so significant and so important? Because it is very difficult to build something that's going to last and be firm and be significant if it does not have the right kind of foundation underneath. But a foundation by itself, it just leaves us with questions. It leaves future homeowners wondering what's going on. But even if you were just me driving through what was supposed to have been a neighborhood, and maybe is now, I've never been back to that area of Florida, but, but just all these spots with the foundations board, nothing on them. Maybe you've traveled in some other countries in the majority world and seen places where houses have just started to come up, but that's as far as they get. Not even full walls. Nothing there. Really tragic. This morning, I want to think with you for a few moments about both the foundation and also what you put on that foundation. The Bible itself talks about foundations. In uh, the Apostle Paul, 
in some words that Jeremy quoted for us just a little while ago. It doesn't use the image of a foundation, but for the moment, I want you to think about it this way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes these words. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. I'm leaning on that and using the image of foundation. When does the foundation come in the building of a home or of a building? It comes first. It's of first importance. Without a foundation, what can you do? For I, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared, he was seen uh, by Cephas, Peter, he appeared to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, many of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and Paul writes, and then, last of all, he appeared to me also, as one abnormally born. <laughs> I was just out of the loop, I was out of time, I was out of sync with what was do- going on, but Jesus appeared to me. A foundation. A foundation for why we're here. But I want you to think about it in more than that. Because the foundation that Paul was writing about was not a foundation for a religion, and not a foundation for religious activities, and not a foundation so once a year we could have certain kinds of services. It was a foundation for something much more significant. Earlier in that same book, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, an interesting line, an important one. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, Jesus Christ. And Paul thought about the foundation for life and faith of a community and individuals. He said, for me, the foundation is Jesus Christ himself. Well, this morning, I want to uh, direct our attention to a couple of scripture passages, and I want to start with one in Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. I think we're going to throw the words up on the screen. I want you to read these words with me, okay? I'm not allowed. I'll read them. You can just follow along. But the writer of the Hebrews says this, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. I don't know about you, I've read that passage uh, a whole bunch of times in my life and, and I've never really hunkered down there and thought about it very long. I've never preached on it. And usually it just sounds kind of strange. Cleansing rites? What, what's all this stuff? So I want, you to, I want you to put the words back up and I want you to read it one more time. The writer is saying, I want you to think about, he's, he's thinking about what are you going to build on a foundation? But he's not yet talking about that. He's inviting people to move beyond something, which means he's really saying, I want you to think about what you're going to build on something, but here is the foundation. So therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. In other words, let's start building on this foundation. Not laying again the foundation of six different things, of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, of instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. It may sound strange, but I want to just name those six things carefully so you, you understand what the writer's saying. Let's make it as simple as possible. 
The foundation is a foundation of repentance from things that lead to death. What's repentance? Not first and foremost feeling bad or sorry about something, but changing your mind and changing the way you think about things. Instead of continuing to live a life that moves in the direction of death, the writer's saying the first step of laying a foundation is changing the way you think about yourself and about the world and about, in many ways, everything, and getting a new direction in life. Stepping away from the things that lead to death and maybe choosing to move towards the things that that lead to life. Along with that is faith in God, which if if he was expanding even more, would be trust, a, a trust in our lives in the God revealed in Jesus Christ. We're not entirely sure instruction about cleansing rites. That's a a really involved discussion to try to talk about exactly what that means. But I'm pretty confident that the heart of what he's talking about is baptism. That baptism is a sign that God gave to his people to mark exactly this in a person's life. Repentance from things that lead you to die and faith towards the God you know in Jesus. And marking that as a beginning, a foundational experience in baptism. Following that, the laying on of hands. That exists in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The idea that people would come together and someone would place hands on someone else to pray for them and to bless them. Um, If I do blessing here normally, it would be like this. I don't usually do that, but I might do, the Lord bless you and keep you, all right? But if I was, if I was going to be much more personal and, and much more focused, I'd go right up here, and I'd say, the Lord bless you, and I'd, and I'd put my hand on you. It's very possible if there was a reason that I wanted to pray for you, and we were just one-on-one, I would reach over and put my hand on you. Lord Ask for your blessing on Dennis right now, your care in his life. The laying on of hands was all about that. In some places, it even talks about the imparting or the giving of God's Holy Spirit through that. And then these last two elements in the foundation, the resurrection of the dead and judgment. Let's lean on judgment for a minute. Judgment says life matters. Judgment says who we are counts. Judgment says how we live is significant. That may sound elementary to you, but actually, in terms of the foundation most people have in life, there's no reason really to think that our lives matter much at all. But in the Christian faith, judgment, that someday we will stand before God, is among other things a marker that God is going to set things right, that this world and this life and all of us really matter. But one final element, and this is the only one we're really going to lean on this morning, is the resurrection of the dead. Resurrection. You know, 2,000 years ago, when word started spreading that Jesus who had been crucified, Jesus who had died, was alive again, that he'd been raised from death, people did not automatically believe in that. Do you know why? Because people did not believe that resurrection was something that ever happened to anybody. That's not a new idea. People weren't, just didn't get skeptical today. They were skeptical a long time ago. Because you know what people had noticed for a long time? That when someone died, what happened? They stayed dead. It's the way it works. 
In fact, you and I know that as well. We've observed it again and again. We've observed it up close in our families. When someone dies, we cry, and we remember, and we tell stories, and we gather together with others, and in certain settings, maybe we have a box in which the body of the deceased is is lying, and we see them, and then we commit their body one way or the other to the ground. When you die, it's over and done with. So when, when word got out that Jesus was alive again, people did not know what to make of that. There were very few people in the world who believed in anything like resurrection at all. There was a growing number of Jews who did. But this is what they believed, that God was at work in the world, and that God had a plan and a story, and a special people called Israel, and that someday, someday down the road, at the end of time, when everything was over, God was going to raise up his people again. But you know what nobody had ever thought about before was this idea. That somebody in the middle of the the human story, in the middle of history, in the middle of right now, (laughs) that somebody would rise again and be alive in a new way after they had already really, really died. By the way, generally speaking, um, if you were crucified, you were killed. (laughs) The, The likelihood that someone could survive crucifixion and the kind of torture and beating that Jesus had experienced before he was even thrown up on the cross is incalculable. It's irrational to think that. It's absolutely ridiculous. There's no question that Jesus was dead. In fact, that was a foundational thing. Paul said, For I hand down to you what was of first importance foundational, that Jesus died for our sins and that he was buried. Those two things, just make sure you understand Jesus was really dead. But that on the third day, he was raised from death. Foundational, what the writer of the Hebrews is saying is that you and me can be a part of what God was doing through Jesus. That his resurrection can be a sign and a cause of something like that happening in our lives as well. I want you to think about this morning, about the idea that resurrection is foundational. Remember this, foundations matter. They are important. Here's the problem. I believe an awful lot of human beings build their lives on foundations that are shaky at best, And I almost believe that some people are seeking to build lives and to live life with no foundation at all. They just go through the motions. They're just moving on. I want you to think about the foundation you either have in Christ or maybe the foundation you don't have in Christ. And I want to remind you, here's what you never want in life, a foundation that exists by itself without something being built on it. Wants to build something on our lives and the foundation of the resurrection. I want to just take a few moments with you and think about, I think, one of the the first things and most important things that God builds on the foundation of resurrection in the life of his people, and that is hope. Hope. Do you think about hope very much? Do you remember how significant and important hope is for you? Do you know what it's like to be hopeless? 
Do you know how hard it is to live and to do and to get up and move when you are without hope? The Bible describes people who grieve without hope. The the Bible describes people who live without hope and without God in this world. And if you live without hope and without God in this world, it's not easy. During his five years as a prisoner in North Vietnam, Major J. Harold Kushner encountered a 24-year-old Marine who had made a deal with his captors. Um, The soldier agreed to cooperate with the Viet Cong, and in return, the commander of the prison camp promised that he would let him go, as he had done for a few others in the past. So the tough young Marine became a model prisoner, even leading the camp's thought reform group. His, His health remained relatively good for two years of being a prisoner of war. But over time, it gradually became clear to him that the Viet Cong leader had lied to him, that he actually had no intention of releasing him ever. According to writer Doug Colligan's account of the incident, the soldier became a zombie. He refused to do all work, rejected all offers of food and encouragement, and simply lay on his cot, sucking his thumb. And in a matter of weeks... He was dead. What did he die of? He died of hopelessness. He died because there was no foundation in his life that provided any kind of hope for his future. And without a hope for his future, there was no reason to live today and right now. Hope matters that intensely. And that's exactly what God builds in our lives on the foundation of resurrection. We've looked at these words before. I want you to throw up on the screen words from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and following. Apostle Peter is writing in a difficult time already for a group of Christians who are feeling the tenseness and the challenge of life and also those who don't like what they believe and what they're committed to. And he writes these words, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. And in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that you may prove the genuineness of your faith, of of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire that it may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and, and glorious joy. Listen to those words again from the very first line in, in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What he's given us is hope. Hope that the future is real and that it makes sense and it's going somewhere that is good. And what is that hope based on? What is the foundation of that hope? It's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I could say, I think we can fairly say, that God gives us that hope on the basis, on the foundation of Jesus Christ being raised from death. 
a living hope. I like the language of the old King James Version, 1611, a long, long time ago, where they said, a lively hope. Not a hope that's whistling in the dark, not a hope that's wishing and hoping and dreaming about maybe, but a hope that is strong and virile and alive and lively, that allows us to move and to live and gives us a purpose in life. A couple days ago, I was sitting, actually working on some of these things, at a Panera, some miles from here, and um, drinking my coffee and minding my own business, and a guy all of a sudden was standing close by, and I looked up, and I just said, good morning. And he said, good morning back, and before long, we were in a conversation. His name's Peter, and to him, my name is Craig. He knows I'm a pastor. We covered about that. Um... And what I can tell you is, Peter cares about certain issues very much. He had some buttons on. I won't tell you what they are, because I'm, uh, yeah, stay away from that. But I'll tell you what his passion for in particular is. He's a teacher, a professor. He cares about the earth and the environment and lots of things. And he cares very intensely. Um, I don't know enough to, uh, to get into any profound conversation on the matter, to tell you the truth. Forgive me for that. I just listened. I asked him questions. I, I asked him to tell me how he got into this and, and why it matters to him and, and what he's most concerned And I look forward in uh, coming weeks, I'm going to have my eyes open for Peter because I hope to get to talk to him again. Maybe find out more. But if we ever get together again, I want to ask him some questions about why those things matter to him so much and why he thinks it really matters even if people listen to him. Without a foundation of hope, why does anything count at all? Bertrand Russell was a, a famous philosopher, famous atheist in the 20th century. And years ago, he wrote some words go like this. That man is the product of causes which had no prevision of the end they were achieving. That his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. That no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of the ages and all the devotion and all the inspiration and all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. All these things, if not quite beyond dispute, are yet so nearly certain that no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. Those are some of the most depressing words I've ever heard in my life. Bertrand Russell looked at the world in which we live. He looked at people like you and me and ultimately said, we do not exist for a purpose. We just happen to be. It was all some cosmic accident. In the end, it's all going to fall apart. It will go nowhere. The solar system will burn out. The climate may get very hot before then, but guess what? In the end, it's all going to get very, very cold. And that is the story of the ark of so many people 
and how they look at life without God. And if that's really your view, why is anything important? Why matter what you give your life to? Why is it important that you do well? Why is it important to care about the earth or to care about the people in your family or the people who have no claim on you at all? But Jesus Christ laid a foundation for hope in our lives when he was raised from the dead. And when he rose, he made it possible for us to know God, but also to know ourselves. I want to close um, this message this morning by reading some words from a friend of mine uh, who's in a very, he's not thinking about the climate or the earth or justice on this planet and the big issues. He's actually thinking a lot about himself because he has cancer. And I, I quoted, I think, a couple months ago a letter he'd previously written. His name is Lon Allison. We've known him here because he's spoken for us. And this is what he wrote in an update this past week. He says, I don't have much new news on my cancer this month. Chemo treatments continue and will so through at least April and perhaps much of May. The first hope is that the Lord, through your prayers, chemo, and the diet and exercise I pursue will start to shrink the large tumor as well as the small ones. And if so, then surgery becomes an option to remove what remains. And that, of course, would suggest more years of life. This week, we also added a new doctor and his staff at Northwestern Universal University Medical to our team. Marie and I like him very much. He's highly recommended as a surgeon and leader over a large team of oncologists and radiologists. He's having me do another MRI on Monday to compare with the one I had in December before I started chemo treatment. And so we'll be using both CAT scans and MRIs as more definitive tools to measure progress. Well, that's enough on the disease. More importantly, I want to give praise to God for his ongoing and tangible presence in my life and Marie's. We are carried by his grace daily. And tomorrow begins Holy Week with me preaching the triumphal entry of Jesus to Jerusalem. Make no mistake, knowing his triumphal entry to Jerusalem is the announcement of his triumph over all things for all time as the sovereign Lord of the universe. His kingdom is spreading throughout our war-torn sin world. And soon he returns to make every wrong right. I've been using an image of our personal journey of late that ties in with Jesus and his triumph. I tell people that we're on a long hike in a strange country. Marie and I like hiking, and so that works for us. Ahead, we see three paths the main trail leads to. Which one should we take? Should we worry about each? The first is toward a short lifespan, for me, of no more than one year. The second is an intermediate trail of two to five years. The third is a full life of 20 years or more. But we need not be anxious. Why? Because Jesus is walking with us, present and full of joy and peace. He tells us simply to walk with him and enjoy and fully embrace the trail and all it offers in sorrows and joys. He will turn us to the right trail as the three paths draw near. I have no fear about his guidance, and as Marie says, these are sobering realities. But we're not alone. Your continuous words, letters, and gifts of prayer are often our strongest reminder that the triumphal Christ is with us. His word is alive and full of promises, so that we can be promise-led people, not problem-led strugglers. How grateful we are. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing to be able to stare cancer in the face 
and know that you could have just a few months left to live. Or maybe if the treatment works pretty well, you'll get a few more years. Or maybe if things really work well, you'll get a bunch more years and you'll get to become old. But Lon is okay regardless. Because you know what? He has hope. His hope isn't in chemo. His hope isn't in the treatment. His hope is in Jesus Christ, who God raised from the dead. That's a foundation that is strong. We build foundations on things that fall apart quickly. We do it all the time. People do it again and again. They lay a foundation of things that don't last and it will die and drift away. But God says to us, I have a firmer foundation for you. Build your life on that. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's the foundation God offers us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the life that we live is so good and so bad. It's so beautiful and sometimes so ugly. It's so clear and so distorted. It's so whole and so broken. It's so simple and it's so hard. Help us not to keep our eyes wide open simply to what is around us or inside of us. But help us remember that you long ago gave us a foundation in yourself and your resurrection for life. That resurrection foundation should not be bare. You want us to build on it. Even today, help us start building out of the hope that God is gifting us with right now. And help us build big and strong 50-ton lives on the powerful foundation you laid. In your holy name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand as we respond to God's word this morning by singing of that foundation, the risen Christ.